So that song said, uh, one of the second to last songs said, I have decided to follow Jesus. And it basically said, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. I thought that was kind of cool because if you look at our lives, we, have, we make that choice. We don't, we're not forced to do it. We're not commanded to do it. We're not persuaded to do it. It is strictly a love thing. We choose to follow him because we understand, we understand that he loves us. We understand that he's going to provide for us, take care of us, and be there for us always. It's never a, I'm going to force you to follow me, I'm going to force you to do this. But what the song says, and, and if you actually, that, that song is very, very old. It, talks, it was talking about um, that they've decided to follow Jesus. And actually what it is, it's referring to a slave referring to a slave that has decided to follow their master. And we're not talking a slave that is um, a slave that, I should say an indentured servant or someone who has been paid with a price and they have chosen to follow him. Because what it, what it does is this, is slavery, slavery was usually, or indentured servants were usually seven years. Seven years you would work for them, you would do things for them, and what would happen is at the end of the seven years, they would release you. You could stay under them for another seven years or a lifetime if you wanted to, if they were a good master. But a lot of those um, indentured servants, they would work for them for seven years. But at the end of that seven years, the master would take uh, a piece of land, uh, some cattle, sheep, whatever it was, and maybe a, a, a barn, a house, whatever, and would actually give that servant, for being honorable and working for seven years, give that servant a piece of property on their land. They could work it. It was their own land, an acre, two acres, whatever it was. They would work that as their own land on their master's land. So what that, that song was saying is, and that, what that refers to is, is, as an indentured servant, these people would choose to follow their master. They would choose to follow him even though they were set free. We, may, we have a choice. We, we have the choice to accept Christ, reject him, accept him, and then just okay, I've got my ticket and I'm ready to go to heaven when I die. But that song says that I'm following Jesus. There's no turning back. I'm not going back to the old way. I'm not going back to the old lifestyle. I'm not going back to um, the slavery that was there. I love that girl. Every time she's here, she's always making fun noises. So we have that choice. We have that choice that I'm going to follow Jesus. And as one of those choices of following Jesus, we have responsibilities and things that we need to do in order to follow him. He doesn't say, just follow me and you don't do anything. He requires something. Just like a master requires something of his indentured servant, he requires something of us. He doesn't demand it, he just requires. And we think of slavery, uh, we think of slavery and we think of an indentured servant as a bad thing sometimes. We, we hear slavery and we hear of the South. Um, slave, a lot of times in... New Testament, if you look at it, they weren't slaves, basically, that they had no job, they had no place, so they would, the master would take them in. He would take them in and bring them in, and you work for me, you do what I tell you to do, but I take you in and I bring you in and I give you shelter, I give you food, I give you clothing, and we think of slavery as the way we've viewed it in the past. We think of, you know, the South and slavery and, and just brutal things, but Paul talks about that I am a slave to righteousness. Basically, he means that I am under 
righteousness. The righteousness of God is in me, and I am ordered by it, commanded by it, to do what God has called me to do. So, to understand God, we have to say, okay, I'm going to turn, there's no turning back, I've decided to follow Jesus, but how do we understand who God is? We understand him through a a, a couple different ways. We understand him, first of all, through his word. We understand him because of the writings of Paul, the, the, the Gospels, the Old Testament, the New Testament, we understand him because we, we see what his heart was. We see what his actions were. If you look at Jesus, his actions were all about love. It wasn't about, um, I talked about this uh, last week, it wasn't about rejecting someone because of the way they looked, the way they acted, the way they, they, their lifestyle, their you know, or, orientation. It was about loving people where they're at, and accepting them. So, to understand God's heart, we have to read the Gospels. We have to understand the Gospels, because really the only understanding of God's heart we can find in... Uh, excuse me, I shouldn't say that. The, the full explanation of God's heart in the Bible is through Jesus. We see his actions, we see his words, we see his love for people, we see his sacrifice for people. So what was Jesus? What, what, what was he called? He was called the Son of God. So... God sent his son, and we all know that John 3.16, he sent his only begotten son. So we understand his son, and we see him as that. But it talks about in the Bible that God calls us sons and daughters. So sonship, if we've decided to follow Jesus, and it says, and I like the phrase, there's no turning back. If we've decided to follow Jesus, we are deciding to dive into it headfirst. Not looking back, no turning back, no, well, I don't know, second guessing. It's about, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to live how he taught me to live, how he lived his life. I'm going to follow how he lived his life. So Jesus was a son. He knew his father. He understood his father, and he knew what his father was saying. How did he get that way? How did he do that? Jesus was human. Jesus was God. Jesus was human. Jesus had to learn to obey his Father, to follow his Father, and to openly obey and accept his Father's rules, the way his Father operated. Jesus was human, but he was God. He could have done things his own way, but he didn't. He was under authority. He understood authority, and he submitted himself to that. He was a good son. He followed his Father. So as we continue to follow Jesus, we need to learn how to follow God's heart. We need to understand God's heart. And Jesus was a good son. And, and sonship, and, and I say sonship, but that, what I'm talking about is sons and daughters. It says he has adopted us. He's called us into his family. We are sons and daughters of God. So sonship is a byproduct of discipleship. We think of, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're sons and daughters of God, and that's, that's great, but how do we understand our place, our understanding of who he is as a son and a daughter of God? It comes through discipleship. Discipleship allows us to grow in the understanding of God, his heart, his mode, mode of operation, his methods of operation, and, and to submit ourselves to leadership. The disciples didn't call Jesus Father. They followed him 
like a father. They didn't call him father, though. They saw the heart of the father in him. They saw that he was like the father. They saw that he was good. He was loving. He was kind. He had compassion. He desired to be in a relationship with people, but he didn't call himself father. But they followed him like a father. They followed him like he was their father, teaching them how to learn, live, and act. They saw God's heart in him, and they wanted to be with him. Most of the disciples were rejects of the priest program in the day. Most 13-year-old boys, when they were 13, they would go into a, um, basically, a uh, kind of a school, and if they did, for one year, and if they didn't pass that, they wouldn't be able to move on uh, for the next generation, the next, or the next year, and the next year, to become, uh, to learn how to work in the temple. So these guys have been rejects. That's why they're fishermen. The, the desire for every Hebrew Israel like person was to have their son become in a priest, to work in the temple, to be part of the temple. So God took 12 guys that were rejects from the modern age of this is how we do church. And he said, you know what, I'm going to use them to do, how, do church how I want to do it, to love people how I want to do it. Jesus operated in a, in a way. They called him rabbi. He operated different than the rabbis and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees of that day. He operated in love instead of sta- standing on, along the street corner and saying, oh, nope, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. He operated in a way that was so loving that people flocked to him. His disciples came to him. He said, follow me. I guarantee he didn't stand there for 20 minutes trying to sell him on a pitch on how to, you know, what he was going to do for him. You know, if you, if you join up with me today, you'll get this, this, and this. I can guarantee you a life of hardship, but you'll get this, this, and this along with it. He wasn't selling them on that. He came up to him and said, follow me. And it says that they left their father. A lot of them it says that they left their father, their nets, their jobs, everything that they had like that. It also, in Scripture, it talks about that he said to one man, he said, follow me. And he goes, well, I've got to go bury my father. He goes, let the dead bury the dead. See, what Jesus was looking for is people who would drop everything at a, at the, on a dime and say, you know what? I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to follow you and, and do what you do because I see something good in you. Not second-guessing, not, not questioning everything that he was doing. So discipleship. He called them disciples. Why? Because they weren't quite apostles. Look in Acts. See, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he calls them disciples. But in Acts, what happens in, after, in Acts 2? After Acts 2, what does he say? They're called apostles. They graduated. If you look at the disciples, they were not the brightest and the most smartest people in the world. That's why they were rejected from being part of the temple. They were rejected at a young age. That's why they picked up manual labor jobs in order to do that. But if you look at the disciples, Jesus was training them, but it wasn't a quick and easy training. It was messy. Problems got, arose. People's attitudes got involved. Egos got involved. And but Jesus dealt with them in a certain way. 
he dealt with them in love and in kindness, even though he rebuked them sometimes. You know, like I said last week, you know, they're, they're angry because somebody rejects Jesus. They're like, let's just destroy, call down fire, God, and just destroy the whole city because, you know, they rejected you. And Jesus is like, you're morons. You know, he's probably looking at them going, why are you doing this? Have you not understood what I've taught you? Jesus told them, if they reject you, kick the dust off your sandals and move on. He doesn't say call fire from heaven to destroy the city. They're operating on the Old Testament, saying, okay, look at what he, God did to Sodom and Gomorrah. Hey, you're God. Why don't you, not, why don't you call fire down and destroy the city? Jesus operated in a different mindset than they were accustomed to. They had to relearn everything about the Father that they had been taught. They had been taught that God was angry. God wanted judgment and wrath. And if you did something wrong, you were going to be condemned or killed. Jesus took the Ten Commandments and said, you know what, I'm going to fulfill these Ten Commandments and show you how to do it, but you don't have to stone people, hate people, and um, disregard people because of their sin. The disciples started to follow Jesus. He was teaching them. Their, their tempers got involved. You know, they're arguing who's going to be sitting next to him in heaven. And my mom wants to know if you can let us sit next to you in heaven. And, and he, can you imagine the look on Jesus' face? And he's just like, your mom wants to know what? How old are you? And, and your mom, like, just the, the, uh, the idea, the look on his face would be like, your mom wants me to know if that well, you can sit in heaven with me. Yeah, that's, isn't that sweet? Why didn't she ask me herself? Um, but Jesus dealt with each one of their faults and their issues and their just stupidities. And what happened is that the disciples became good sons. They became good sons. And they learned how to follow him. Peter, look at Peter, denied Jesus. Oh, I won't deny you. I will not deny you. I'll be with you. I'll die with you. Denies him three times. But what does he do when he, come, when he um, comes back? He says, you know what? I'm going to build my foundation upon you. The, church is in the foundation of the church is going to be built upon Peter. Peter led the disciples and the apostles into the next era because Peter was a good son. He had moments of fault and scared, and fear, and, and whatever it was, but Jesus knew he was a good son because he had taught him well. He knew Peter's heart wasn't bad. He had moments of weakness, but he goes, I, I discipled you. I, I made you my son for three years. I was your rabbi. I taught you. And he goes, I know what I've done with you. I know what I've put into you. And he goes, you know what? It doesn't matter what you did, but I'm going to build Upon the church from you. Discipleship does a few things. First of all, it creates responsibility. It creates accountability. And it creates a, an atmosphere of learning and also a, an atmosphere of submission. People have to learn to submit themselves to leadership. That's one of the hardest things to, to do in America, um, a lot of our friends are foreign, and um, most of them are Welsh. But um, <laughs> there, we we went to this um, conference one time, and there was this this um, 
guy from Tasmania, and he's speaking, and he was talking about how to understand the father and son mentality in the church and understand the father-son mentality in, of the kingdom is so hard to teach in America because of this. We don't have a king. We don't follow anybody. We do our own thing. He goes, foreign countries, Europe, um, Asia, all these other countries, they understand because they've had kings. We were one of the only countries in the world until, you know, within the last hundred years they've gotten, gone away with it. But if you look at the United Kingdom and the United States, what do they do? They follow the queen. They look at the queen and they honor that position. But in America, it's hard to teach that we have a father-son mentality, that we have a king and we follow a king. Because what did we do? What did we do? We rejected a king. You won't tread on us. You won't tell us what we can do. Discipleship requires submission to leadership. It requires submission to leadership because they, God has placed them in your life. She agrees. God has placed people in our lives that we can submit ourselves to, not because they force us to, but because they lead and we realize that God has put them in our life in order for us to grow. They submit themselves to leadership and they allow them to train them, to teach them how to be a good son. It creates accountability for that person saying, you know what, I'm going to hold you to a certain standard. And when you fall below that standard, I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to drag you up to that standard. I'm going to show you how to get to that standard. But what it does for leadership with discipleship, it allows leadership to show the heart of the Father to the person that they are discipling. What did Jesus do? He showed the heart of the Father to his disciples. He showed the heart and the love and the, the true nature of God to his disciples because he loved them enough to train them how God wanted them trained. You guys turn to first, or excuse me, not first John, uh, John 1 12. There's a Greek word called technon, and normally the father son mentality to the discipleship mentality comes from this. And, and I'm, I'm talking about father son mentality or the father son relationship, but I'm also talking about discipleship. So I'm going to tie this all in together a little bit, but I'm kind of veering off on this just a little bit. The word technon normally means of someone who is born as your descendant. So my, my daughters, um, you know, if, if you have a son, that's your, that's your descendant. It's normally translated in English as children. John 1.12 says, But as many received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. So we're born, when we're born again, we're born into his family. See, we have this weird mentality in the United States that um, because you're my parent or because that I'm related to you, I'm owed something to you because I'm your child. It's a sense of entitlement. Uh, well, I'm your kid, so I deserve everything that I want from you and everything that you have is mine. I've got to 
eight-year-old and a 12-year-old, and sometimes that rears its ugly head. And I'm like, you're entitled to none of this. I give you this because I love you. And um, I have to remind them of that every now and then. But the Greek word technon means children, often designated for the, the term believers in Christ. In this passage, it says we're declared the children of God because we believed in him. He be- we believed in him, so we are now his children. He calls us his children. He calls us his sons, his daughters. We have, we have access to our father. But then there's another word. If you guys turn to Matthew 5, 9. I'm going to probably butcher this a little bit, but it's called huos. And Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So John says that we're the children of God. But then Matthew says, Jesus says in Matthew that we will be called the sons of God. The word huos in the Greek normally means adoption. Called the sons of God. Should be called the sons of God. The Greek word is to describe a relationship brought about by a legal act of adoption. Paul uses this word in the context, meaning that we are the placing of sons. We are placed in a role of sonship. The act of adoption in the Greek and the Roman cultures in those days was a huge thing. What, what we don't realize is we call adoption, oh, adoption, oh, I adopted kids, and now they're my kids. Well, we think of it as, okay, I'm taking these kids, they can't be with their family, or they lost their family, I'm going to bring them into my family. Let me read you this real quick. It says, in the Western world, we think of adoption in terms of taking a child from one family and making it a member of another. However, the Greek or Roman father, father adopted as a son his own child. Birth made him a, ch- a child, technon. Adoption made him his son, which is huos. Between the birth, excuse me, between the period of birth and adoption, there were stages of growth, education, and discipline. Until maturity was reached for adoption into, the son, into sonship. With this adoption, the son was recognized as one who could faithfully represent the father. He had arrived at a point of maturity where the father could entrust him with the responsibilities of overseeing the family business. The son then became an heir to his father's inheritance. Birth gives one the right to the, inher- the excuse me, birth gives the one the right to inheritance, but adoption gives one participation participation in the inheritance. In our culture, we think of, okay, when, I'm, when I die, my, da- my daughter, you know, our culture thinks, when I die, my kid automatically gets what is mine. But in the Greek and the Roman culture, it was, you're born into my family, and I will take care of you and everything, and you have right to the inheritance. But they would train them, show them how to run the household, the family, whatever it was, 
And when they became to a certain age of responsibility and faithfulness, it gave them participation in the inheritance. So as children of God, we have the right to call God our Father. As a disciple, we have the right to call God our Father. But it's that sonship, the growth from being a disciple to a son that gives us right to be part of the inheritance, to participate in his inheritance. We don't have the right to say, okay, God, this is, this is all yours, and I want to do this, and I want to do this with it. It comes from being discipled, understanding who God is, understanding his heart, understanding his father, submitting to his ways, going through the education, going through the stages of growth to understand who he is, to follow him. When we're born again, we're the children of God. But discipleship discipleship brings us into being heirs of his kingdom. I would rather be an heir to the kingdom than just a child. I would rather have the right to, to be part of that inheritance and work with that inheritance and participate in that inheritance than just be a child sitting in the, in the side going, okay, I hope when he dies I get everything. Because that's what children do now. You got, I, and not all kids, I'm just saying is there's families in, that have their parents in nursing homes and in places, and they're like, when I die, I'm getting this much money. And when they die, I'm getting this much money. Because they're focused on what the amount is instead of what the inheritance is. They're a, chi- they're a child, but they're not a son or a daughter. Discipleship brings us into be heirs of the kingdom. True sons, true daughters of God. Not just sitting in the background waiting for everything to, to fall along the wayside so we can jump up and grab it. One of the, I, there's a few writers that I really like, and one of them is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you guys don't remember him, he was a um, German um, theologian, pastor in World War II. Basically, he stood up um, to Hitler and did a lot of things for Jewish people. But one of the things that he wrote says this, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. It remains an abstract idea, a myth which has a place for the fatherhood of God, but omits Christ as the living son. There's trust in God, but not following Christ. Oh, yeah, God's my father, but I'm not going to follow Christ. I'm just waiting for God to come back so I can go home. Instead of living in the inheritance, participating in the inheritance, when his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, so we can be part of that inheritance on earth instead of waiting for him to come back. If you're just waiting for God to come back to take you to heaven, that's bad theology. Our mission on earth should not be, God's coming back. I can't wait till he's coming back. I can't wait till he's coming back. I'm sick of this. I need him to come back because I just want to go away. Earth sucks. Everything's bad. That mindset is not a son or a daughter. It's a child going, wait for it all to end so I can get what I want to get. I want to go to heaven. I want to get what I want to get instead of saying, you know what? His inheritance is being poured out to his children now. Let's participate in it instead of saying, 
well, you know, I'm going to wait till ever the world falls apart and he comes back, and then we'll be in heaven, and everything will be great. He never designed it that way. He designed it for us to be part of this earth. When he told Adam and Eve, he said, subdue it. And then he told his disciples, he said, when you pray, pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he didn't send Adam and Eve down and say, subdue it, and then change his mind. He said, subdue the earth. And then he taught his disciples how to pray the kingdom to earth. Still the same mission, subdue the earth. Bring his kingdom to the earth. So we don't walk around like children. We walk around like sons and, God, sons and daughters of God enjoying and participating in the inheritance that he has laid out for us. Not just waiting. Oh, I'm going to wait 85, another, another five years and they'll be dead and I'll get the money. That's how people wait for their inheritance. That's what they think inheritance is. It's not. Inheritance is, is being a son and a daughter and participating in it. Because inheritance isn't just money. Inheritance is what is left for the next generation. It may not be, it may not be uh, physical things, but it may be spiritual things. So when God says, you know what, enjoy the inheritance, participate in it, what he's saying is, is this, is four generations from now, are they going to speak of their great-great-grandfather who did something for that family that changed the course of that family? Because he understood what the sonship and, or the, 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 being a son or a daughter of God really was and participating in the inheritance and sending it down from my generation to my great-great-grandkids so that they can look back and go, crazy grandma Sarah and crazy grandpa Matt did something that changed, changed something in the, the, the way our family operated. That's the inheritance that God has for us. That's his kingdom doing something in us, us participating in his kingdom, to change the course of a family, a town, a school, whatever it is. So do we sit along the sidelines and waiting for, for grandma to die and saying, I'm going to get my inheritance, got a couple more years to wait, or are we going to participate in the inheritance that God has given us? Learn how to be sons and daughters. Learn how to be followers of him, not just a disciple. Disciples moved out of learners into doers. James says, be a doer of the word. Become an heir instead of just a child. God has designed us to participate with him. He never designed us to be on earth, him up there, nothing going between us. He's designed us to build that relationship with him, to understand him, to participate in his kingdom with him. People wonder why things happen on earth, and they say, oh, why did God let this happen, or why, why isn't God doing something? He works through us. He works through his sons and he, his daughters on earth to accomplish his plan and his mission. God doesn't step in because what, he, what did he do? He gave Adam and, Eve, he said, Adam and Eve, he said, I give you dominion over the earth. Go and subdue it. He gave them authority to go and subdue it. Same way with us. He has given us authority to walk on this earth, to bring heaven to earth. 
So are we going to stand by and as children just wait for it to happen? Or are we going to be participants in his inheritance and bring heaven to earth?